Welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Good afternoon. I'm Leanne Davis, and welcome to Altitude Adjustment. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about the mass, uh, the conversation surrounding mass shootings and gun ownership. And Marco Rubio um, had, was at a uh, town hall meeting, and I have a little bit of information to, to, to share with you about that and uh, some of the latest news. So right now, let's get started with that. So I want to thank you again. Um, I chose the <clears throat> pardon me. <laughs> I chose the topic of uh, having a conversation about uh, the co the conversation surrounding mass shootings. Now I'm going to take you back a little bit. Um, mutual assured destruction, or mutually assured destruction, or MAD for short, is a doctrine of military strategy and national security policy in which a full-scale use of nuclear weapons by two or more op opposing sides would cause the complete annihilation of both the attacker and the defender. It is based on the theory of deterrence, which holds that the threat of using strong weapons against the enemy prevents the enemy's use of those same weapons. The strategy is a form of Nash equilibrium in which once armed, neither side has any incentive to initiate a conflict or to disarm. One of the earliest references to this concept comes from the English author Wilkie Collins, writing at the time of the Franco-Prussian War in 1870, quote, I began to believe in only one civilizing influence, the discovery one of these days of a destructive agent so terrible that war shall mean annihilation and men's fears will force them to keep the peace, unquote. Mutual Assured Destruction, or MAD, was one of the defining strategies of the Cold War era, but it is now being used in discussions about school safety and mass shootings. For the last few years, many people defending gun ownership have put forth the idea that a good guy with a gun is the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun, or some version of that. Like if a person looking to do bad will think twice if they know they will face equal or superior firepower. Now, the ideology fails in a couple of areas. First, the ideology creates an arms race between citizens, not country to country, but neighbor versus neighbor. The premise is, if you have greater or equal firepower to an adversary in a disagreement or conflict, this balance or overload of force will bring about peace. If it doesn't bring about peace, then at least you can meet aggression with aggression and eliminate the threat. It's intended as a replacement for diplomacy, or in some cases, to be diplomacy. The idea of arming teachers or adding additional armed protectors in schools presumes that someone who wants to cause harm is going to be deterred because they may be killed in the process. 
The difficulties with this, in many cases, the person perpetrating the mass shooting may not, and we've experienced this, have any intent of coming through this ordeal alive. The opposing firepower theory will not apply and does not become a deterrent. The theory also presumes that the armed protectors aren't caught off guard, aren't in some way prohibited from executing their mission or are prepared for the situation. If the armed protector is subdued first, that still leaves everyone else unprotected. The good guy with a gun idiom has another big flaw. It is reactionary. Most people that espouse the theory believe it's proactive in that it supposedly creates fear and causes people to pause before planning and executing a mass shooting. But in the case where the perpetrator is not frightened off, then the idea is once a shooting has started, there will be sufficient enough counterforce to stop the offender and neutralize the situation. That means the offender has already initiated the attack and lives may have already been lost while the armed resistance is there to limit the amount of dead or wounded. This to me is the textbook definition of reactionary. In problem solving, there are two approaches, proactive and reactive. Being proactive requires more thought and involvement in identifying potential areas of ineffective planning, risk assessment, and identifying potential unintended consequences, and then putting into place actions to affect a solution including contingency plans and fallback strategies. Whereas reactive problem solving implements solutions that address the immediate situation, having to go back and discuss contingencies, possible fallbacks and consequences from the plan that was implemented. Proactive thinkers try to look for weaknesses in their plans and their own plans and make adjustments to strengthening their planning. Where reactive thinkers are very sure of their plan and don't plan for weaknesses or contingencies. Reactive problem solving usually only provides short term solutions. <clears throat> Pardon me. It doesn't try to get to the root of problems, thereby slowing or eliminating a reoccurrence. It is only concerned with the immediate here and now. I was, as I was doing research for this, um, from a podcast. Uh-oh. Some of my work has been removed. I don't know how that happened. Okay. Oh, 
There we go. All righty. <laughs> so anyway, while I was doing research for uh, this show, I ran across a speech that, um, um, oh, Mr. Lap Wayne Lapierre, Wayne Lapierre gave. He's the um, vice president of the NRA. And I'm going to share that with you, and then I want to talk a little bit about that. Practical action to truly protect our children. Think about it. It's a bizarre fact that in this country, our jewelry stores all over this country are more important than our children. Our banks, our airports, our NBA games, our NFL games, our office buildings, our movie stars, our politicians, they're all more protected than our children at school. Does that make any sense to anybody? Do we really love our money and our celebrities more than we love our children? Can we answer that question honestly? Any of us, can we answer that question honestly, knowing that we surround and protect so much with armed security while we drop our kids off at school that are so-called gun-free zones that are wide open targets for any crazy madman bent on evil to come there first. So, at first, when you first listen to the clip, or at least when I first heard the clip, you try to think, uh, is this a reasonable assumption? And some people might think that's a reasonable assumption. We do protect football teams, we protect stadiums, uh, for sporting events and for live concerts with armed private security. So why not schools? If we care about schools, then we should do the same. Here's the reactive behavior as actors were assaulted, as football stadiums were are assaulted, as activity at concerts go awry, we just add armed security. Proactive thinking looks to identify root causes of problems and attempt to provide more permanent solutions rather than continuing to escalate fixes that obviously are not making the problem go away. Pardon me a second. So maybe I should uh, keep some water. I'll have to Put that on my list of things to, to try to make the show a little better. I mentioned earlier about once armed under the theory, neither side has an incentive to disarm. That would apply to governments and not individual countries and not individuals. Countries initiate wars to defend themselves to protect their citizens or to acquire additional resources for their survival. An individual initiating a mass murder is not operating on the self-preservation or self-defense uh, mannerisms. So the initiator of mass violence is no more likely 
to give up their firepower. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, an, an initiator of mass violence is more likely to up their firepower to overcome resistance, whereas a country would think twice because of the, its job at protecting the citizens. Um, a mass uh, a person intent upon uh, initiating mass violence does not have that as a guiding factor in their behavior. As we've seen private security um, grow, you have to ask yourself that do you believe that there is a point of return where private security will no longer be needed? When we place armed officials in schools, there is probably no plan to ever remove them. There's no identified way that we are going to de-escalate that action. So once they're in schools, they will probably always be there or until some other tragic event causes us to react in the contrary. Think back. In 1982, there was the Tylenol scare in Chicago, which is why we have safety packaging today. That was 36 years ago. Would you buy a package without the safety seal intact? I mentioned that the English author's idea that men's fear will force them to keep the peace. Fear is usually good for avoiding immediate danger. Do you really want to depend on fear to secure safety, hoping that the bad guy is forever going to be afraid? Now, I wrestled with a, a couple of different ways of ending this segment and just decided to do both. The first, the arms race did not make people feel safer. It only made them more concerned about who was holding the trigger. End scene. The second ending. In an article that I read, a mother, while taking her 10-year-old son to school, decided to quiz him about what he was supposed to do if someone comes to his school and starts shooting. And this is supposedly an, this is supposed to be an actual um, occurrence. This has actually happened. The son. The teacher is supposed to shut down and lock the door, but the put black paper over the window on the door. Then myself, and three other boys are supposed to push the table against the door. After that, all of the class is going to stand behind us on the back wall. The mother, the class is supposed to stand behind you? Son, the son, me and the other three boys, we stand at the front and they stand behind us. Now, the mother being concerned her son being one of only two black children in a class of 23, and her thoughts went to, 
Why was her black son being put on the front line? So the mother asks, why did you get picked to stand in front of everyone else if a shooter came in your school? The son, I did not get picked. I volunteered to push the table and to protect my friends. Our current rash of school shootings is causing 10-year-old boys to make adult decisions about life and death. Do we want this to continue? Is this how we expect our 10-year-olds to behave? So that ends that segment. Um, while creating the show, I also will, of course, run across a lot of clips. And so I decided um, this, these, the following two, I have two clips. Um, they're from a town hall rally in Florida um, that Marco Rubio did. Um, talking about the, the gun violence and the shooting in uh, Parkland, Florida. So I'll play the first clip and then and then I'll come back and we'll start talking about it a little bit. I'll start talking about it a little bit. Performs the exact same way. So what my belief is, my belief remains that rather than continue to try to chase every loophole that's created, it's why it failed in 94, it's why they're getting around it now in California, it's why how they get around it in New York, is we instead should make sure that dangerous criminals, people that are deranged, cannot buy any gun of any kind. That's what I believe a better answer will be. Okay. okay. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, we are in a, we are in, we have a representative democracy. And that means we elect officials that represent us in government. Our voice isn't heard directly, but is heard through our officials that we have selected, or we have elected on our behalf. Several times during that clip, Marco Rubio made reference to his desires and his beliefs and what he would not support legislation that he did not personally believe in now it's understandable that he may have uh, differing views from some of his constituency but he has to determine what the desire of his constituency is even and even if it is different than his own he is there to support the constituency and not his personal views the first time he made reference to his personal views can be attributed to a mistake or something that he didn't word properly. But with each progressive reference draws a picture of how he sees himself in his government position. It is that he believes he is there to put into place what he believes is right. This is why when 80% of the country supports a particular issue, some of our elected officials have chosen to ignore that because they believe they have the right to determine what is good for our country. Remember, these are his words. You're right about that. There's money on the, both sides of every issue in America. 
And where that leaves us in policymaking is to look at the issues and make a decision based on what we think is right. News for the week. On Thursday, Trump proposed pay bonuses for armed teachers. On Wednesday, during a listening session with students, families, and others affected by gun violence in schools, he stated certain highly adept people, people who understand weaponry, guns, should carry firearms on campus. He followed up on Thursday proposing a pay bonus for those workers. No mention was made how this would be paid for. On Wednesday, the Army awarded the Medal for Heroism to three junior ROTC cadets killed in Florida in the Florida shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Peter Wang, 15, Martin Duke, 14, and Elena Petty, 14, were awarded the Medal of Heroism, which is the highest medal given to Junior Army Reserve Officers Training Corps cadets. Wang has been posthumously admitted to the U.S. Military Academy. The 15-year-old was killed as he tried to help fellow students escape the mass shooting in Parkland, Florida. Ex-Trump aide pleads guilty to Russian pro in Russian probe. Rick Gates, a former senior advisor to President Donald Trump's election campaign, pleaded guilty on Friday to federal conspiracy and false statement charges. He admitted to charges accusing him of conspiring against the U.S. government related to fraud and unregistered foreign lobbying, including lying to federal authorities in a recent interview. Under the terms of the plea, he is estimated to face between four years and nine months and six years and 11 months behind bars and a possible fine from $20,000 to $200,000. Gates revealed that he will help special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation in any and all matters. Trump blasts John McCain at CPAC after promising to stop. Arizona Senator John McCain's daughter and TV personality Megan McCain announced on Friday she would wait until Wednesday to respond to the news that President Donald Trump blasted her father at CPAC after promising to knock it off. Trump made a negative reference to John McCain's no vote to end Obamacare without using his name. Megan and her mother are expected to give a rebuttal on Wednesday's The View. The Russia probe may spell trouble for bankers too. Additional federal charges have been filed against President Donald Trump's ex-campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. Banks that loaned him millions of dollars against his New York real estate could also be subject to legal and regulatory risks. One of the banks listed in court papers appeared to help Manafort avoid being caught by sending back a falsified financial statement that had been sent to them from a Manafort associate, according to federal prosecutors. I'm Leon Davis, and I want to thank you very much for joining me. That's going to end the show for today. Uh, I will be back again next Saturday. And... 
You can replay this video podcast here on YouTube. I do anticipate adding Daily Motion as a source for video podcasting, and I will be podcasting on Periscope. You can play the audio podcast on Stitcher.com, Podcast.com, the iTunes Store, and the Google Music Store. The internet is powered by your likes, shares, and comments. Like and share this episode where you find it and consider leaving a comment because it matters. As always, be cool, be calm, but above all, be careful. Look out for the other guy because they may not be looking out for you.